Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. But notice... It goes on in here in verse 1 and says that there were seven heads. This beast that was rising up out of sea had seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. And this is the revived Roman Empire that the Bible tells us about. I am program today, our scripture says, and on his horns ten crowns. The ten crowns of the beast express his rule over a group of ten nations. The visions documented in the book of Daniel chapter 2 and chapter 7 connect the governments represented by the ten crowns with the ancient Roman Empire. In those visions, Daniel saw three successive world empires, each succeeded by the fourth, which in the context of the vision is plainly the Roman Empire. In the days of that fourth empire, the Messiah will come, destroy all earthly rule, and reign over the earth. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he continues our study. But there's coming a time when it will be revived, and a man of sin, this politician who won't be revealed, so don't even try to figure out who this man is. It's a fool's errand. (laughs) You can try if you'd like. But don't worry about who he is, because we're not going to know. We can make some guesses. Can't be dogmatic about anything, because he's not going to be revealed until we're left, until we're out of here. And we might be surprised of who it might be. So this beast will not only embody the revived Roman Empire, but it will also be a man. And notice that the dragon is not the beast, but the beast is similar to the dragon. They are distinct personages, but they are very similar. In fact, we've talked about the demonic trinity, and just like we have the trinity in the church, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Satan has his own trinity as well. Notice he mimics everything that God does. There's nothing original that he does, and the reason there's nothing original is because he has to counterfeit what he knows is true. And what is true is that there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all the things that Jesus Jesus did, he is going to try and counterfeit. Even coming back on a white horse, we saw that in Revelation chapter 6. This conqueror coming, that's who he is, that's his personage. He, all he can do is mimic. And so that's what he does. Satan, he feigns to present God the Father, the beast, or the Antichrist as we know him. He feigns to represent Jesus Christ, the Son, and the false prophet who we'll look at uh, next week. 
He feigns to represent the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead. And as the Son, Jesus Christ, glorifies the Father, and the Holy Spirit encourages the worship of the Son, Jesus Christ, so too the demonic trinity does very similar. The beast, the Antichrist, gives glory to the dragon who is Satan, and the false prophet causes everyone to worship the beast, the Antichrist. See the similarities? Then I stood on the sand of the sea, uh, and the, the dragon actually stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads. And we, this beast is the Antichrist. We look, we, we've been saying that, and the government is closely tied with him. We'll look at more of this when we get into verse 2. But the word Antichrist is, is not, only appears five times in the Bible, in four different verses. In fact, the Bible speaks of the spirit of Antichrist in John's gospel, or I'm sorry, in John's epistle. He says, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. The spirit of Antichrist is doing very well. Jesus is not real, he's not the only way. No, he didn't come physically to the earth. He wasn't really born to the Virgin Mary. That's really just a, a nice child, children's story. It's not really real. See, that's what people say. That idea, that whole thing is the spirit of Antichrist. Anything that opposes Christ or goes in place of him is the spirit of Antichrist. Does that make sense? Anything that opposes him or is in place of him is the spirit of Antichrist, not the Antichrist. There's a difference. In fact, in 1 John chapter, um, there we go, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. What does John say in his other epistle here? He says, little children, it is the last hour, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Now he's speaking about a man, John the Apostle. This is only the, the few times that the word Antichrist is in the Bible. He's mentioned by many other names throughout the Bible, but now John puts a label on him, and you'll only find it in John's epistles. Little children, it's the last hour, and, and, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now there are many Antichrists, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Even in John's day, it was the last hour. As soon as Jesus ascended into heaven, we've been in the last days. We've been waiting for his return. And it's been almost 2,000 years. But one day with the Lord is a, is a, uh, with the Lord is a thousand to us, and a thousand to us is one day with him. And what does it say in 1 John chapter 2.22? Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son. Some say, well, I've got, I, I'm, I, I'm good with God, but I don't believe this Jesus business. Well, guess what? <laughs> you don't get the Father either. It's a package deal. Because Jesus is God's salvation. That's what his name means. Jehovah Shua, God's salvation. There's only one salvation, and that's God's salvation, and it's embodied in a person, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And in 2 John chapter 1, notice what John says. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Again, it means in opposition to or in place of. And believe me when I say this gentleman, when he comes on the scene, you've heard me say this before, 
But he is not going to be an unattractive man, I'm sure of it. He will not be ugly. He will not be a repulsive leader. But for as long as possible, he will look like an angel of light. He will appear like he's the right guy for the season, the right person at the right time. And here in the midpoint of the tribulation, he will show his true colors. We're going to see him putting an image of himself in the temple. We read about that in Daniel 9.27, that he's going to cause the, uh, the sacrifices to cease in this new rebuilt temple. Because no one is normally attracted to someone who is repulsive and filthy and morally repugnant. Are you? Most of us are not. Somebody who is, you know, there's a lot of people who aren't pretty on the outside, but they may have a beautiful heart. But when you have somebody who is, um, you're not attracted to people who are, are you know, filthy, they're repulsive, morally uh, decrepit. And the devil knows this, and he also knows something about the heart of man. He will deceive many by what we see as good and what we desire, not by portraying himself as an angel of darkness, but as an angel of light. An angel of light. His methods haven't changed over the years. He knows how to attract with beauty. There's a song called The Devil with a Blue Dress. And why is that? Because the devil's not going to come in a red, red uh, uh, spandex suit with the horns and a tail with a pitchfork. It's what men and women desire. The very best that the world and the flesh has to offer. That is what attracts men and women. And men and women, folks, we are both useful and effective tools of the devil. The devil hates men and women, but he really hates women. I'm convinced of it. He hates women more than anything else. And what happened in the fall in the garden? What, did, what was the consequence as a result of Satan deceiving Eve? What did God say to the serpent, to Satan? He said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. I will put hatred between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this, I believe, is speaking, the devil hates women and he uses women, beautiful women. And ladies, if you are beautiful on the outside and you have everything going for you, be very careful the devil wants to use you as a tool. He wants to do it for men too. Guys, if you have the whole package, or at least you think you do, be very careful. The devil wants to use you. But men, we are normally attracted by our sight. And the devil doesn't need to change his tactics. He comes as an angel of light. He's not going to bring something that you're not going to be excited about. He's going to make your heart throb, and you're gonna, it's going to be everything you can do to stop yourself before you fall headlong into sin. What does it say in 2 Corinthians verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 13? For such are, pro, are false, pro, false apostles, excuse me, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, Paul says, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of unrighteousness, those who will be according to their works, those whose end will be according to their works. So ladies, be very careful. Be very careful. The devil loves to take down the devil with the blue dress. 
has taken down many CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and smaller companies. The devil with the blue dress has taken down many pastors and leaders in the church. The devil with the blue dress has taken down university professors and congressmen and presidents. No one is immune to it. He doesn't need to change his tactic. He's not going to be repugnant and repulsive. He's probably going to be one of the most attractive men. And he's going to have all the gifts. People are going to flock to him. They're going to wait in line to get the mark of the beast, which we'll talk about in a week or two. There are many names that this beast has in Scripture, and here are just some of them. He's known as the, fierce, the king of fierce countenance. He's known as the prince that shall come. He's called the willful king, the one who comes in his own name, whom Israel uh, will receive as, as the Messiah. He's also called the son of perdition, the man of sin, the lawless one. We also know that he's the little horn, the coming prince, son of destruction. He's called the Antichrist, the rider on the white horse. And we know him here in the 13th chapter of Revelation as the beast. So notice in that first verse here, back in our text, he says, I stood, the dragon stood on the sand of the sea. I saw the beast rising up from the sea. What does this sea mean? It could be the sea used as a sea in general, but usually it's speaking of the Mediterranean Sea. Often in Scripture you'll see the Great Sea, and it's referring to specifically the Mediterranean Sea. And I think that's really interesting because throughout the Old Testament, you see whenever it's used like that, it's speaking of the Mediterranean. And it's no surprise to me that that it is the Mediterranean because this is the sea that's bordering on the land that's going to be the foundation of this revived Roman empire. If you've been to Europe, you know what I'm talking about. It's interesting that mankind over the, at least the last hundred years, has been actively pursuing a one world government. One leader to rule them all. It reminds me of the Lord of the Rings. One ring to rule them all and in the darkness bind them. I think Tolkien had something. A lot of types in the Lord of the Rings concerning the Antichrist and the false prophet and Satan and God. There's a lot of types that he has in there. But mankind has always tried to, especially in the last hundred years, to try and formulate a one-world government. It started with the League of Nations in 1919, and then that was replaced in 1945 with the United Nations, originally starting out with a 51-member team or member nations, but now, as of today, it's 193. And the European Union, there's a group, a conglomerate of nations that want to form together and have one leader. They're all screaming for a leader. We want a leader to rule the whole thing, this whole thing is so much a mess. Man can't rule himself. If there's anything that we've proved over the last hundred years is that man cannot rule himself. He doesn't know how. He's not capable. Only one who is perfect can do that. And before Jesus Christ returns to the earth physically, the Antichrist will have secured, at least temporarily for himself, this one world government. And that is where we are headed, folks. But it will all come to an abrupt end at the return of Christ in Revelation 19. And we will come back to the earth with the Lord at that time. So the desire for a one world system, even a one world religion, it goes back even farther than all of this. It goes all the way back even to the Tower of Babel. 
The fact that the world had one language was not a problem until pride and humanism came to the forefront. In, Revel- or, I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter 11, uh, as, uh, in the chapter 10 of Genesis, it speaks of the, le- the, um, the table of nations. When Shem, Ham, and Japheth came off the boat, they scattered all throughout the earth. They had one language. And then finally, they journey from the east where they find a plain in the land of Shinar, which is, by the way, in modern-day Iraq, modern-day Babylon, where Babylon used to be. That is where this occurred. The Tower of Babel was originally there, and we call that, that place today, we call it Babylon. And it's still there today. It's in ruins for the most part, but Saddam Hussein in the 90s was doing a great job at rebuilding it. But notice what happened. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Here's the sin of their heart. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. God didn't want them to be building an altar to him, but made with hands. They should have known better, but they resisted the command of God. We're going to build something. And not only that, it wasn't even to God. They worshipped pagan things. They did horrible atrocities on that tower. And their intention was to do evil things. They said, let us make a tower, a city whose top reaches to the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. For ourselves. Does that sound like pride or humility? (laughs) Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. And the Lord saw all of this, and he came down. He confused them all. I don't know how God did this, but in one moment, and just like that, they're all speaking the same language. Hey, hand me that that shovel over there. I need to dig this hole to get this brick in, or whatever. And God says, all of a sudden, they're talking, and they're like, what are you talking about? No comprende, amigo. All of a sudden, languages, they they don't understand each other. God broke up the languages. They couldn't understand it. Was that God's grace? I think it was. You think he did it just because he he was afraid that they might overcome him? (laughs) They're building a tower. I'm going to be overrun. Was God that way? Was he nervous? Was it his grace that he said, I'm going to confound you because the attitude of your heart is so sinful, it's so wrong, if I don't intervene, there is nothing you won't do. He knew the heart of man. Man didn't even know the heart of himself. And in God's grace, he confuses the whole mess. Man wanting to build, govern ourselves, one religion, one government. Sounds so good, doesn't it? In the natural, it does. Be nice, wouldn't it? One leader. But this demonic rebellion began here in Genesis 11, and it will ultimately end in a rebuilt Babylon on the very same spot that this Tower of Babel, this very same area in the land of Shinar in Iraq, it's there, folks. I've seen pictures of the ruins of Babylon. And Saddam Hussein, as I said, he he was rebuilding those things in the 90s. He thought he was like a reborn Nebuchadnezzar. That was his protege. Or that was, that was his, uh, the one he looked up to. He built palaces, beautiful palaces. They're all over the place there in Babylon. And guess what? When the Gulf War came, it's interesting that they weren't destroyed. They kept them. From what I understand, the Allied forces weren't allowed to touch those buildings. They left them standing. I wonder why. Could it be there was, they looked at them and go, wow, this guy put in a lot of effort. Wait, let's hang on to those. They might come useful sometime. Uh, duh. Yeah, it's coming. <laughs> 
Babylon has already started. It's just a question of time. But you and I will be removed, and then it's going to go in full force. And it won't take much time, folks. It doesn't take long to build, especially now with the tools we have today. But at some point, his, the Antichrist headquarters will be based in Babylon. Perhaps one of the mysterious reasons, uh, like I said, Saddam's uh, palaces weren't destroyed during the Gulf War. And we can read about that when we get to Revelation 17 and 18. We'll see his center based there in Babylon, in a rebuilt Babylon. But notice, it goes on in here in verse 1 and says that there were seven heads. This beast that was rising up out of sea had seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. And this is the revived Roman Empire that the Bible tells us about. And we don't have to look very far to find out the answer to this, because it's who cares about our opinion? Let's just go right to the Bible and see what the Bible tells us. In fact, I'm just going to summarize this, but I want you to read this for yourselves. I'm going to summarize it because we don't have time to get in this to this today. In Daniel chapter 2, these four kingdoms that were going to succeed Babylon, Babylon is the head of gold. Persia is the, the chest, the arms, the Medes and the Persians. That's why there's two arms. That's of silver. Greece is this bronze uh, waist area. Rome is the, the legs of iron. And then the iron mixed with clay in uh, the revived Roman Empire. All these world kingdoms have come and gone except for the very last one. We know that Babylon was taken over by the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and the Persians were taken over by Alexander the Great, from the, the leader of Greece. And he was ultimately succeeded by Rome, the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire imploded upon itself in 476 AD, I believe it was. And they've been lying dormant ever since, only to be revived in the last days. And believe me, the world is waiting. They don't even understand any of this because they don't believe any of this. Notice that each successive metal decreases in value. There's a reason for that. As man tries to govern himself, it becomes more base, more base, more useless, more base. The head of gold was Nebuchadnezzar. The body of silver was the Medes and the Persians, Darius and Ahasuerus. The bronze was Greece under Alexander the Great. So we see these kingdoms the first four of those have already come to pass. And right between that Rome and that one at the bottom, the revived Roman Empire, is where we are. We're at the end of that. We're getting close to that. Because when the church is removed, this plan will go into place. It'll create, an, create enough stir in the world. There's going to need to be some leader to make sense of all this. People are going to lose their minds when the church is removed. It won't make sense. It's going to be very scary for the world. Daniel chapter 7 and chapter 8 further portrays these four kingdoms in the likeness of animals. And we're just going to look at Daniel 7 because I think this chapter is, is important because it gives us even more information than uh, chapter 8 in some, in some areas. But we're going to see that Daniel, as he portrays in chapter 7, he portrays the head of gold, this Babylon, as a lion. He's going to personify the Medes and the Persians, the chest and the arms of silver. He's going to personify that as a bear. He's going to personify Greece, this belly of thighs of brass, as the leopard. And he's going to 
talk about the Roman Empire that was that that that, that was uh, destroyed by itself actually in 476. He's going to describe that as a horrible beast with ten horns, and there's going to be two f- waves of that. Two different layers to that. The one has already happened. The one has yet to occur. And he's going to speak about... I'm sorry. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.